Welcome to church. This week, we have guest speaker Greg Musselman from The Voice of the Martyrs Canada, sharing on how following Jesus can be very dangerous in many places in the world. Yet, in spite of persecution, God's kingdom is advancing as many are coming to faith in Christ. If you are new here, we would love to get you connected with our community. You can message us on Facebook, Instagram, or simply by texting hello to 587-323-1199, and we'll respond right back. I'm so glad you could join us today. This morning, we are blessed to have a friend that many of you would know, um, but I will introduce him in detail for those who are meeting him the first time, Greg Musselman. He's spoken here a number of times in the past. Greg was born and raised in British Columbia, and Greg became a Christian when he was 23 years old while living in Edmonton. He's been married for 37 years to Arlene, father of four uh, adult children and grandfather of three. He is an ordained minister and has served as a pastor in Alberta, Manitoba, and in Christian media ministries. And some of you will remember him from his time as a television sports anchor and reporter, including TSN and Global Television, which was formerly ITV. How many of you remember Greg from those days? I know Doug and I were talking about that. We, uh, we remember that and remember hearing about Greg coming to Jesus, actually, being a, a media personality. And Greg began full-time ministry with the Voice of the Martyrs in 2003 after several years as a volunteer. And during that time, and since that time, he's reported from restricted and hostile nations in Africa, Europe, Asia, South America, and the Middle East. And he's interviewed literally hundreds of persecuted Christians and traveled to around 50 nations. He's released his first book, uh, uh, Closer to the Fire. And there's a book table at the back. Is the book there at the book table? It's there available for you to, to purchase there. Uh, it, it's about lessons from the persecuted church. And he's also, a number of you have mentioned, you've seen him on TV as the co-host of the daily Christian television program, 100 Huntley Street, which is broadcast right across Canada. Amazing uh, uh, program. He also hosts a weekly podcast called Closer to the Fire with Greg Musselman, and that is available on all major apps. So along with being interviewed, on numerous television and radio programs in Canada and the U.S., uh, Greg produces video documentaries, radio and television programs, and so forth. Greg is active in sharing the message of the persecuted church uh, in churches, college campuses, conferences across Canada and around the world, and we're blessed to have him here today. Let's give a warm welcome to uh, Greg Musselman as he comes from the Voice of the Martyrs. Greg, please. Thank you. Wow, who's that guy that you just introduced? Sounds pretty important to me. <laughs> uh, it's uh, wonderful to be here. Uh, as OJ mentioned, I'm doing a podcast, so for any of you that are interested in hearing you know, longer interviews and you know, some of the things that God is doing around the world. I mean, COVID has been an interesting time. That would be an understatement. But I think it actually has been good for the church. It has helped us to go, well, what really is important? Is gathering together important? You know, when you get kind of out of a routine, and some of you have been in church for decades, I think it's good to step back and go, okay, do I believe this and all that? I think obviously you do, and those that are watching online, uh, welcome. And I know there'll be some that are watching uh, from other parts of the uh, world as well, so we thank you for joining us. But, uh, you know, we need to hear the stories. And as I've been doing the podcast, I've had opportunity to talk to believers all over the world. The technology is amazing, the internet quality, uh, some of the programs, and I had to learn some new skills during COVID, you know, video editing and, you know, developing the podcast, things that I wanted to do, but just never seemed to get around to doing them because of a busy schedule, traveling back and forth to Toronto and hosting Huntley Street and work with the Voice of the Martyrs and speaking in churches, and all of a sudden, my schedule just went blank, rubbed everything off my calendar, and I thought, well, I have to do something now, and uh, the Lord was guiding and leading. I think even this church, too, with the technology and the amazing people, the Joshes and the rest of you guys here that are doing amazing work, we're, we're reaching people with the gospel. We know that 
the internet has a lot of dark stuff on there. But there's a lot of the gospel of Jesus Christ that's getting out there in even greater ways. So the light is shining into the darkness. Let's just stand for a moment and pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can come together. Uh, It is a privilege, Lord, to meet in a place that puts Jesus number one. That you are the greatest in the universe. And we bow before you and say you are our God. And you have opened the way to heaven for us to spend eternity. And we are grateful. And even as we talk about some difficult things this morning about our suffering brothers and sisters, we know, Lord, that we're going to spend eternity with you. Whether our life ends today or in 50 years from now, Lord, we look forward to that. And we just know that this life is just a a glitch. And then it's going to be over. I pray, Lord, that you will use the stories of our persecuted brothers and sisters to encourage us in our faith. In this time in Canada, when there is an increase of hostility, as we sense that towards Christians, those that really follow after you and and are trying to live by the Bible. But we will not back down. We will not compromise. And we want to be strengthened by the witness of our brothers and sisters around the world. The Bible says that if one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. But we also rejoice with those that are seeing great things happen in the kingdom. And we know, Lord, around the world... The gospel of Jesus Christ is going into dark places and people are coming to know you. We thank you for this time together. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to do a little bit different than normal. Uh, I, I tend to be a preacher and wander all over the place and I don't know like, if you can follow me if I'm out in the hallways or wherever I am. And I'll try to stay up here at least in, in the light. Um, and I love to preach, and I just and I love to go off script, and you know that kind of thing. And I and I may do that, but I'm going to treat this more like uh, a newscast, but the Kingdom Report newscast. So this is C3 TV, live from Edmonton. But before we get into the broadcast, a few uh, words from our sponsors. The Voice of the Martyrs newsletter is something I would encourage you to get. Not only do you hear the stories of our persecuted brothers and sisters, but it also shares the joy and the the victories that God is doing in the midst of persecution. I also have a book uh, with me, my own book, but also Trouble on the Way. Uh, My uh, co-worker at Voice of the Martyrs, our CEO, Floyd Brabell, has written this book. And it's basically a scale of persecution. Starts with ridicule and discrimination, defamation, goes all the way along to arrest, imprisonment, torture, and then ultimately death for a faith in Jesus. And Floyd has woven in stories throughout the book uh, to give us examples of what persecution looks like in different places. Now I have this Bible cover here that says this book is illegal in 53 countries. I hope that Canada is not number 54 or down the line. But this book is becoming more and more hostile because it goes against the world system. And, and unfortunately, even believers in our own nation are compromising what is said in here to fit in to some of their likes and, and the way that our culture has changed. When this book continues to be assaulted, then we stand up. I will go to jail for that. Because this is the Word of God. And I mean, this sounds like, see, I'm going off script already. Um, But let me just say this. I've been a Christian a long time, 1982, and soon after I came to Edmonton and gave my life to the Lord, and it's been an incredible ride. It's been hard. It's been frustrating. But it has been incredibly joyful. But even in the last couple of years, I have had this conviction that I need to read through the Bible. I just do my own devotions, and I've never gotten away from that. It's kind of like, Two things I like to do, you know, at start my day is in the Bible, spend time in prayer with the Lord, and then go to the gym or exercise, just keep my body healthy as much as I can, but keeping my spirit sharp. We need to be in this book. And so I've committed over the last couple of years to read through it, and I, and I plan to do that maybe for the rest of my life. Because there's so many things that we hear that sound good, but does that line up with Scripture? I mean, if people are willing to die for their faith in Jesus, we also must be prepared to give our lives 
for Christ. Okay, now back to the newscast. I've, uh, the worship was so good today. I felt, this, I felt like crying, just overjoyed. We live in a tough world. We feel like we're getting beaten down and we come in. It's just like this, you know, refreshing water washes over us and encourages our spirit. Next Sunday is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. So we're getting an early start here today. And again, thank you, Pastor OJ, for inviting me. Um, it's always encouraging when I get invited back to churches, because not everybody wants to hear this message. Uh, if you want to get likes on Facebook or whatever, uh, you know, things on the Persecuted Church don't nearly get as many likes as me doing some goofy thing, you know, singing Malikiliki Maka or something, you know, on YouTube. You get, oh, yeah, a lot of people like that. And it's fun. I think we have fun as Christians. But when we talk about the Persecuted Church, it's not the number one thing that people want to hear. And be honest, it, it actually causes difficulty in some theological settings. And, you know, the way the church, you know, God just wants to prosper us and no harm will ever come to me and all the rest of that. Well, that, church history doesn't show that. The Bible doesn't show that. And modern day persecution doesn't show that as well. So the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church is important. And I'm glad, you, again, you recognize that I've been here on those particular days. And I thank you for that. So the theme this year is unshakable faith taken from uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, COVID, persecution, the enemy can't stop the growth of the church. See, I'm preaching now. I'm, you don't see too many newscasters like that. Anyway, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. So let's go to the video. All over the world, the followers of Jesus refused to let imprisonment, torture, and even death of a loved one stop them from advancing God's kingdom. Takea and his wife were imprisoned for their Christian activities in Eritrea, which left their children without parents. Takea was tortured multiple times. We would be working a lot at night. If we were caught preaching, the guards would push us to the ground. This was the military punishment. They hauled us down and would tie us up with a rope for 72 hours. That would go on all day and all night. They would tell us not to do it again. But knowing from the Bible what the fathers of faith went through, this is nothing. Knowing the glory that has been prepared for us to see and the reward we'll receive. This kind of problem is nothing. Kelly Sines has suffered incredible loss. Kelly and her husband Pabell were active in getting Bibles and Christian material into some of the most dangerous places in Colombia. Pabell was not intimidated by those who were opposed to the message of Jesus and paid with his life, leaving behind his wife and two children, Israel and Linda. Kelly was able to forgive the two men who killed her husband. I never told him to stop because this was something we had decided to do from a long time ago. It was what he was called to do. He wasn't interested in things on the earth like money and things you could gain. His purpose in life was bringing the gospel to people. The first thing the Lord had me do was to go back to that very same village with boxes and boxes of Bibles and to preach with the same intensity that my husband did. Will you pray that no matter what our brothers and sisters are facing, that their faith in Jesus will continue to be unshakable?
pretty intense at times, uh, the loss that some people have to go through. Kelly Sines has become a very good friend of ours uh, with our partner, Minister Columbia Patacusto, and she continues to deliver Bibles and raising her children, Israel and Linda. She is an amazing lady. We got a chance to see her again in an interview for Huntley Street, and she continues just to do amazing works for God's kingdom. And then the brother from Eritrea, Takea, um, that situation in Eritrea, he, we did the interview there in Ethiopia after he escaped from the country. But the persecution of evangelicals continues in Eritrea, which used to be a part of uh, Ethiopia. And there's hundreds and hundreds of Christians still imprisoned. Uh, when I was there in 2004, we met two pastors of a large evangelical church in Asmara, the capital, more than 10,000 people, Holly Niski and Dr. Kiflu Gebermeskel. And they were arrested in 2004 and are still in prison today. The word that we hear is they are still faithful, they are still alive, and they are still pressing on with Jesus. The challenge, though, is that they have not been able to raise their families. They haven't had the joy that I've had to watch my children get married and to see the birth of my grandchildren. What an incredible cost it is that many of our brothers and sisters are facing because they love Jesus. So when you think of Eritrea, Colombia, you know, remember the faces, the stories. It's not just these massive numbers of people suffering. It's actually our brothers and sisters because we have a father in heaven and we're all together in this. In Nigeria, which I I think of all the countries that I have visited, it is the one that uh, impacts me the most just because of the amount of violence and death, uh, the kidnapping of young girls. I have three daughters and now two grandchildren or daughter, you know, or girl grandchildren and a grandson as well. And I can't imagine if I was in a situation where my children, daughters, were kidnapped and forced into another religion, Islam, and married to an older man or a Boko Haram, you know, militant Muslim. It would be devastating. But Nigeria continues to see incredible persecution, especially in the northern part of the country, which is mostly Muslim, but there are Christians there. And according to Open Doors, one of their partner ministries with Persecuted Church, over 3,400 Christians were killed last year in Nigeria. And that many were killed already in the first 200 days of this year. It averages out to about 17 believers, lovers of Jesus, die every day in in Nigeria. And, you know, when we talk about the numbers and, you know, it just, they're overwhelming, but we have to remember that they are individual people, uh, like Pastor Silas Yakubu Ali. And in September, you can go to the next one, in September, uh, in a village in Kaduna State, this dear brother went out on a pastoral visit, and he didn't return home. The next day, they found his body about a kilometer from his home. Uh, he had been shot. Uh, They had macheted him, and he was killed, leaving behind a wife and children. A day after that, 11 more people in that area in which uh, Pastor Ali had given leadership to also died, including two pregnant women. The attack was linked to the Fulani herdsmen, who were also a radical Islamic group. My friend uh, Yunusa Madu, he is the general secretary of the Evangelical Church Winning All Denomination. Uh, he did Pastor Silas's funeral. In fact, when I was doing my podcast and I was, you know, talking about some of the things that had happened, and at, at that time I learned that he actually did that particular funeral. This brother Silas was a part of that denomination. And one of the things that I asked um, Brother Yunusa, as, as a Christian and as a leader, how do you deal with so much death and destruction, where every day it seems that you're hearing about another attack. Let's go to that video. As a church leader uh, in our own climb here, uh, it's very difficult because you wake up every day with one bad news or the other. You wake up hearing of your members that are being slaughtered like goats, the communities that are being sacked, properties that are being destroyed, people that cannot sleep in their homes, uh, widows being created, orphans being uh, produced every now and then, and and it's quite overwhelming because you you want you want to help, you want to come in solidarity with these people, but the resources are very very limited because of the huge number uh, of people that that are uh, involved. But that said, uh, the 
the, the feeling, it's quite emotional. And sometimes your members ask you questions that you yourself do not have answers to. Uh, but you just do know at the back of your mind that God is in charge. And sometimes it's just not enough to stand on the pulpit and say to them that God is able to deliver. And yeah. some people are asking the question, when is God going to come through in all of these things? We know that God is sovereign. We know that God is powerful. But for how long will we go through this before he, he shows up? But, you know, my answer to them is that God is, is there already. He's not traveled. He's not absent. But there are such times that God does not make sense. But even at those times, God is still sovereign. And that is something that we have to remember. One of the things that Yanusa said that was the most difficult is when he gets calls from parents asking, will my daughter ever come back? And he shares, you know, many stories of, of these young girls, Leah Sherabu at 14, kidnapped with 100 other girls. And either they were Muslim or the Christians became, or at least said Islamic prayers and were released. Leah refused to do that. And that's three years ago. What we understand is she now has two children with a Boko Haram soldier. And her parents, of course, are just absolutely devastated. And to be a leader and a pastor and try to give comfort, sometimes we say, I, I don't know why these things happen. But yet we know that God is in control. Uh, when I went there in 2014, uh, and it was, you know, it was just a time that there was so much violence going on, and go to the next one. And then even prior to that, being down in Nigeria in 2012, Deeper Life Bible Church. And a month before, we had arrived in Gombe State, Gombe, which is northern Nigeria. And we had heard about a church where there was an attack by three young members of the Boko Haram and a prayer meeting midweek, and the believers were praying. And as that was going on, these three young men started shooting at the Christians. By the time they were done, 10 people were dead, including one of the pastor's wives. The pastors were actually out of town. They were at a conference. Uh, two eight-year-old boys were killed. And nobody had been in the building since it had happened. We saw the bullet holes in the wall. And as we walked around, I saw this Bible, which I actually have at the table today. And this belonged to a brother named Yakubu. And he was, they were in the middle of praying, and he got shot. Uh, he did not die, but, you know, obviously he bled on this Bible. And, and actually, we noticed later on there was a bullet hole in the front of the Bible, which perhaps could have saved his life. And I was able to buy a Bible and then send it to him and just tell him, you know, that we will continue to encourage uh, Christians in Canada to remember Nigeria. And we'll, we'll do that in just a few moments to pray, because that's the most important thing that we can do. Nigeria continues to suffer so much violence, especially in the north. Interesting thing, when I was doing the interview with Yanusa, and I said to him, in your many years that you have been a, you know, a denominational leader, and he lives in Jos, which is Plateau state in the middle part of Nigeria. I said, what have you learned? He said, the thing that I've learned is that the church in the north is much stronger than the church in the south. South Nigeria, and I, if we have any Nigerian friends here, is mostly Christian. The northern part of Nigeria is mostly Muslim. There's Muslims in the south, there's Christians in the north. The brutal persecution of Christians is in the north. And he said the thing that he's learned is that the church in the north is much stronger than the church in the south. The church in the south gets caught up in the same things that we do in the west, of materialism and things that take us off our eyes off Jesus. When you are under persecution and you are, you know, don't know at any time that these Islamists could come into your village and kill everybody, you tend to want to keep close to God. And I thought, how, Lord, then do we pray for our situation in Canada? Because I believe this is, like, every country is unique. But there's a calling on this nation. We have been given resources. All of us have, you know, our history, unless we're indigenous, come from another part of the world. God has brought us here for this time, Acts 17. What are we going to do with the resources that the Lord has given us? And I, I pray that we will be woken up. And if persecution you know, increases. I don't think persecution is coming to this nation. It's already here in very subtle ways. In ways that's actually directing people away, it feels like, away from the Lord. There's a falling away. The Bible talks about that. What do we have to do, Lord, to say, help us so that we will become passionate in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? 
That's why it's important to hear these stories about the persecuted church. Now, I come from a, you know, journalistic broadcasting background. So even before I was a preacher, I was a broadcaster. So that's why I love doing, you know, programs like Huntley Street and traveling the world and interviewing people. Often when I meet people, they think they're being interviewed. Because I'm always curious, you know, how did you become a Christian? Or when did, how did you guys meet? Or, you know, I, I, that's just the you know, inquisitive part of who I am. And so I just love to, you know, read books and find out things that are going on in our world and interviewing people. So one of the most fascinating countries in terms of growth in the church is Iran. Now, in spite of arrests, and you can go to the next one there. So you see, like, they have to meet in houses. And... They have to be very careful. They have to be underground. But Iran, and I, we've heard this from so many organizations that study these things, that Iran has the fastest growing church in the world. It's a Muslim country. 1979, the Islamic Revolution came in. The Shah went down, the Ayatollah, and they were going to turn this into this perfect utopia. It didn't happen. Most Iranians that I've talked to, even Muslim ones, they would say that they're nominal. They don't really want much to do with Islam. And my friend Hermo Shariat, uh, who started Iran Alive Ministries, also from a Muslim background. In fact, they did an interview with them on 100 Huntley Street, and we put it on YouTube. And the last time I saw the views, it was well over a half a million views. Things have been shared hundreds of times. Because here's a guy that, you know, came to America, and it's interesting because when the 79 revolution and some like us, OJ, would remember this, you know, death to America! You know, they're, they're marching on the streets of Tehran. And they're, death to America, my friend Hermo said, but I want to go to a, a university in America. So he ends up at USC. You know, this brilliant, brilliant guy. And his marriage was falling apart as he shares the story and he read through the Quran, and then it, he didn't feel any change, so he started reading the Bible. I'm going to read the New Testament in three months. He never got past Matthew chapter 5, because he couldn't understand this Jesus that tells us to love our enemies and bless those who persecute us, and you know, the Beatitudes. And anyway, he became a follower of Jesus, and he started a ministry called Iran Alive, and they broadcast through uh, satellite television on the internet. I've had the privilege of being on his program down in Dallas, and they're seeing amazing things happen. But he says that people in Iran, for the most part, are done with Islam. Now, they may not be interested in anything spiritual, but he says there are many that are very, very open to spiritual things. And when they hear the gospel, and they respond. And one of the things that Hermos said, and that's him there leading worship, he said to me that during the beginning days of COVID, there were, you know, and just before that, there were about 50 people, and it was difficult to contact the ministry. So 50 people contacting the ministry, saying they've made decisions to follow Jesus. When COVID hit, they were getting like 500 decisions a month to follow Jesus. His vision is to see a million Muslims come to faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, he pays a huge price. I mean, all these people that I know, they got these amazing ministries doing these amazing things. The attacks, the difficulties, the depression at times that comes over you because of the work we're doing. And yet, the kingdom of God continues to go forward. God is working. You know, when Jesus told us the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, he wasn't telling us to just go into a defensive position. Like, I, okay, I'm going to use a sports analogy. Is that okay? I noticed our hockey team is 6-1 and one now. They're doing well. Connor McDavid's a, he's a pretty decent player. Dreisaitl, they're a pretty good team. If the Oilers just never went past center, they only played behind center, and they just defended the goal all the time, do you think they'd win any games? I mean, Connor could skate around and dazzle and do tricks and maybe flips or whatever. They wouldn't win any games. And that's the same for the church. We can't just sort of say, we're going to hold off the enemy. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That's not the deal. We go into enemy territory. We present the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even if that is sharing with your neighbor or standing up to what the Bible teaches. That's what we need to do. I'm getting all ramped up here. But, you know, the reality is I'll probably break this thing. Maybe you shouldn't have brought this thing up here, OJ. It looks like an expensive one. It's got lights on it. It's, think, does it lift off the ground? Or, But you know what? We are to go into the enemy's camp. Sharing with your neighbor. Sharing with your friends. 
even if it's not cool to be a Christian. I mean, years ago, you could be a Christian, no problem. Now things are changing. As a follower of Jesus, especially evangelical, the way that we're painted, oh, you're this, this narrow-minded, you don't go along with the culture, the culture's changing. Well, we got to make a decision. Do we follow Jesus and his word, or do we follow the ways of the world? Now, I am not paranoid about these things. It is just the spiritual reality. So the kingdom of God continues to go forward. You can go to the next one. As our brothers and sisters are meeting in Iran, they are, you know, discipling each other. They are reaching their neighbors and friends at great risk. And to intimidate the church, uh, the government there doesn't so much force them to go back into Islam. They just send them to these horrible prisons or to another, other parts of the country to be separated from family as a warning that if you become this evangelical or this follower of Jesus, this is what's going to happen. So mind your own business and don't talk about these things. Well, the reality is we've got this truth in us. Are we just going to hold it in? I mean, maybe it sounds like this is kind of a rally kind of time, but you know what? We need to stir each other up to love and good deeds, to tell people about Jesus. That is the reality. Go to the next one, to India, where the level of violence against the followers of Jesus by Hindu extremists is intensifying. And if you're familiar with India, they have what's called the BJP. It's a radical Hindu government that if you are Indian, I know some people here from Indian backgrounds, that if you are Indian, you are Hindu. And it's also persecution against Muslims there as well. But they have these anti-conversion laws. And things are, you know, really ramping up in uh, Jharkhand, Uttar Pradesh, Tamil Nadu, and Chhattisgarh. Now the most dangerous places for the followers of Jesus. And they use these anti-conversion laws. So if somebody becomes a Christian from a Hindu background, you must have bribed them. And here's the dilemma that many of these believers face is... Do I share Jesus? And if they become a Christian, I could end up in jail or I could suffer. And, you know, it's false charges are brought against the followers of Christ. Now, here's an example. Uh, there was persecution of the followers of Jesus in India. So acting on accusations by these Hindu nationalists, uh, they gathered at the New Life Fellowship Ministry in Raipur, which is the capital city of the Indian state of Chhattisgarh. Uh, the complainants then went to the church with the police. The police prevented uh, these guys from going in there. And then the officers requested that Pastor Haresh Suhu report to the local police station. So the service was completed, and Pastor Haresh and two other men from his church went to the police station. They arrived there. There was a mob of about 200 of these militant Hindus outside shouting anti-Christian slogans and, and anti-Christian you know Christian things. Inside, Pastor Resch was then informed that a complaint had been filed against him, and this happens all the time, that uh, he was indulging in religious conversions, so I, under the anti-conversion law. As the police were questioning the men, the mob then stormed into the police station. <laughs> During the attack, the two men with Pastor Haresh on Kush and Prakash situated in the front and were badly beaten. Pastor Haresh was relatively unharmed. The police officer had also been manhandled in the brawl. Reflecting on the incident, one pastor said, If Christians are not even safe in the police station, what can we expect? Arrests have been made against just two of those involved in participating in the attack. We are very saddened by the incident that took place in the police station. It, they are not one. There are several in, incidences that has taken place in the last uh, four or five months. Even during the lockdown time, um, uh, it, it was a government-sponsored attack on churches. And it was uh, you know, protection given by the government uh, to the militant group who are uh, going in churches, going in police station, going in their homes, and trying to um, terrify and beat the pastor. And it's many times those uh, incidences were shown on the TV live. It means the government knows that and government want to see Christian leave this country. And see what these kinds of things do. And as they say, they put this video online to intimidate Christians. And here's what I've observed in my more than 20 years of traveling around the world. When persecution comes, 
a number of things happen, but basically two broad things happen. Either Christians get fearful, they retreat, and they go undercover. Or they get emboldened. And they recognize it as the enemy, and that's why discipleship and understanding these things from the Scripture is so important. And they get even more bold in their faith. See, fear will hold us back from hearing the Holy Spirit's voice and doing what God wants us to do. But once we break the fear, the worst they can do is kill us. And I'd rather just quickly die than be tortured. I'll, you know, I'll admit that. But the thing is that once that fear is broken, then we can do things. I don't care what my neighbor thinks. I don't care what my boss thinks. I mean, when it comes to our Christian faith, be good workers. You know, don't be the annoying, obnoxious Christian. But be somebody that lives by the truth of the Word of God and has this conviction that Jesus is the only way you get to heaven. Either that's true or it's not true. There's no middle ground here. It can't be, well, all religions are good and there's no... It's Even the Christian religion has caused persecution when it's just, you know, becomes, you know basic, you know, to the country, a state religion or whatever. But when it's true faith in Jesus, that's where things really start to change. I want to talk about Afghanistan before we go, uh, because we've heard a lot about it. Uh, the Taliban, after 20 years, has, you know, swooped back in, and it's a horrible situation. And I'm disappointed, as a Canadian, how our government has handled this. Thank God for our troops, those men and women that are standing up and saying, these people helped us. They, they were our interpreters. They helped us win. We're in Afghanistan. We should have got them out of there. I don't mean to make a political statement here, but come on. These people helped us out. And now they're in these safe houses hiding. If they're found out, they could be killed. So we put pressure on our government. They need to do the right thing here. And that's also our friends in America and other places around the world. But the Taliban for 20 years was out. There was, and, and Christians still suffered under, you know, the, the, you know, the situation in Afghanistan, still one of the most difficult places to be a Christian in the world. But there was some freedom. Of course, women were able to, uh, you know, to work and girls were able to go to school. And we'll see what the Taliban does because they need funds and they're trying to present this image that I don't think is really honest, but we, we pray that things will change. But over that 20 years, six to eight, maybe 12,000, we don't know the numbers, of Muslim background people came to the to faith in Jesus Christ. Well-meaning ministries have said, we're going to get every Christian out of the country. Now, every believer needs to do what they think is right for their family. If I was in that situation, as a father and as a grandfather, and the way things are going, I may want to get on the next airplane out of there and come to a safe country like Canada too. Everybody makes their own decision. But I can tell you there are thousands of Christians that say we are not leaving here because the kingdom of God has been advancing in Afghanistan for the last 20 years. We need to be praying for our brothers and sisters. So recently I had an opportunity to talk to an American by the name of John Weaver, a Christian humanitarian. He worked in Afghanistan prior to 9-11 and then stayed there during 9-11 and was there until recently. And I had an opportunity to talk to him and to say, you know, what is the situation with our brothers and sisters right now in Afghanistan? So let's go to that video. They're gathering because they love the Lord and they've experienced his grace and his salvation and his mercy and his forgiveness in there. They're gathering to worship him and and he delights in their worship. He's seeking them to worship him in spirit and truth. And so they do similar things that any of us as followers of Jesus would do in terms of singing or sharing and praying for one another and encouraging one another in, in God's word. And, uh, and of course, now, as we know, a lot of tears and a lot of brokenness among the, the body of Christ there. So there's a lot of prayers and crying out to God. And of course, there's a lot of moving pieces going on right now, as you know, uh, a lot of have left the country or trying to leave the country. So you have a whole lot of, of that actually that's going on as well. Uh, there are those that are supposed to stay and want to stay. And, and some of your friends are like that. No matter what happens, we're staying, we're spreading the light of Jesus. There's others that are going to be leaving and scattered. And even biblically, that's what we saw in the book of Acts. When persecution came, they scattered. So is that what's going to happen, do you think, John, that some of the believers in Jesus will be scattered to other villages? and then bring the light? Well, that's currently what is happening. It is like Acts chapter 8. The persecution came, and 
and some stayed and some were scattered. That's just the, that's just the, that's the historical precedent of what happens. And so, yeah, that's the current situation right now. And that's really between them and God. What is God leading them to do? What is God asking them to do? What do they sense God wants them to do? And what's right and best for them in that particular context? But yeah, as, as the people of God and having the word of God and being led by the spirit of God, when there's a scattering, it does scatter God's life-giving seed. But our greater concern is for those who are going to be called to stay and live out their lives as sheep among wolves, that God would be with them and that he would use them for uh, his glory. God is revealing himself to Muslims every day, and they're coming to Christ every day. And, you know, you've heard about dreams and visions and supernatural encounters and access to God's word now more than ever. But there's also that dynamic you just described that if I'm a follower of Islam and I see all the fighting and all the oppressiveness, it actually can turn me away from my own worldview. I become discontent or dissatisfied with my own worldview, and therefore I'm open uh, to something else. And so, yes, we're believing that's what's going to happen uh, in, uh, in Afghanistan. So continue to pray for Afghanistan, for those believers that are staying there, and some of them, they can't get out, or some of them don't want to get out, but that the gospel of Jesus Christ will continue to go forward. I just want to share one story, and then I want to go to uh, a painting that my wife did that, that gives us hope, because we know that this is not how this is all going to end up. But uh, recently, we had a Voice of the Martyrs conference with all our leaders around the world, and one of the brothers from Jordan shared a story, and unfortunately, these are not uncommon, and I know there's some children here, but... I think it's important that we hear it, and I, and I won't get into the graphic details of it. But in Egypt, a bus was stopped with mostly Christians on board. And uh, ISIS, they took the men off the bus, the Christians, and they killed them. They executed them. And so this mother was on the bus with a number of other ladies and children. And she said to her six-year-old daughter, here's what's going to happen. They're going to come on the bus, and they're going to try to get you to deny Jesus. Don't do it. You will hear a click, and then you'll be in the presence of Jesus. And this ISIS soldier comes on, you know, shouting, you know, Muhammad is the only one. Deny your Christianity. And they went around and tried to get people to deny their faith. They came up to this mother and six-year-old daughter, and this little six-year-old daughter would not deny Jesus. She heard a click, and she was in the presence of the King of Kings. The only way that I can stand up here and talk about these things is because I know this isn't how it ends. We're going to have the most amazing family reunion when we all get to heaven. You know, as I get older and as I get closer to the end of my life and you know, losing my parents was a huge thing, and, and losing friends and, and other family members. It's hard. Death is real, but so is heaven. And it's going to be incredible. Little young girl, six years old, she doesn't get the opportunity to live her life out for Jesus and get married, have family, and, you know, be involved in the church. Her life ended, but she's with the Lord. So I want to close with this. You can go to the, the painting now, done by my wife, Arlene. And this is what gives us the hope to keep going. Some of you may have seen this. I may have even used it here before. But I want to keep reminding myself and, and my friends here in Christ. It's from Revelation chapter 6. It's the fifth seal. When he, Jesus, opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who have been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they maintained. The martyrs, this little six-year-old girl, and all the martyrs throughout the centuries and today, they cried out in a loud voice, How long, holy and sovereign Lord, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? I'm a person of justice. The thing that makes me so angry the most difficult part of the ministry of the Voice of the Martyrs is the girls, the thousands of girls of, that have been kidnapped in Pakistan, teenage girls, forced into Islam, forced to marry older men, what's going on in Nigeria and Liberia and all around the world. Crying out for justice. 
the sex trafficking, all these things that are going on. But justice is going to come. Then Jesus tells the martyrs, after he puts a white robe on them, and tells them to wait a little longer until the number of those who are to be killed was completed. Theologically, I know that. Oh, it's all going to work out in the end. Absolutely. But right now, we're in a battle. We need to stand with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to encourage them. We need to help them. We need to pray for them. We need to defend them in courts when they're falsely accused. That's a part of what we do with the Voice of the Martyrs and other ministries. But we have the hope that someday the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, is coming back. And I want to have been faithful. Let's stand. Father, we thank you that we can come into your presence. We love you, Lord Jesus. We worship you today because we love you. You are the most important part of our lives. And if that's not the case, Lord, I pray even right now that we just recalibrate and get you, Jesus, as the center to give glory to you. And I pray that is what we've done today by talking about your persecuted people, our brothers and sisters. We pray for those in Colombia that are suffering because they're getting the gospel into some very dangerous territories. We think of Eritrea with those hundreds of believers that are still imprisoned. The Bible tells us to remember those in prison as if we were in prison with them. We remember them today in China and Vietnam and all over the world. Brothers and sisters that are in prison and horrible things have happened to many of them. We lift them up that they would know that they have not been forsaken. We think of India and all that is going on there. The gospel of Jesus Christ is moving forward. And then as a result of that, there is more persecution. That is just the reality. When the kingdom goes forward, the Bible says that the kingdom advances by force and violence comes against your church. But Lord, that they would be strong in India, in Afghanistan, where there is so much chaos right now with the Taliban back in control and this oppressive Sharia law. Lord Jesus, that in the midst of that, many Afghans will be looking somewhere and they will find Jesus. And for our brothers and sisters, give them wisdom, Lord, in how they share the message of Jesus. It's very dangerous, could cost them their lives. We don't want them to die before their time. To be that light. And for those that are in Afghanistan and they are in situations where it's very dangerous, we lift them up to you. We think of that lady that's daughter uh, was, was killed. She survived and believed she survived so she could talk about her brave little girl. God, just bring healing to that mother who's lost her husband and her daughter and, and all the others in that particular situation and what's going on in Nigeria. Day after day after day, churches are being attacked and Christians are being killed. Lord Jesus, would you be with them? You would encourage them. I think of my brother Yanusa who has to do so many funerals and trying to bring some sense into all the violence. Give him wisdom. We thank you, Lord, for all the work that you're doing around the world. And even people in this auditorium and, and watching online, maybe you're being stirred in your spirit that it's time to say, I'm, I'm totally all in. This COVID stuff is making me nervous. It's causing fear. It's disrupting normality. But Jesus, if that draws us closer to you, we say, it's worth it. I pray for the young and the old, that all of us will be stirred up in our spirits to be brave, to stand up and say, Jesus Christ is the only hope of this world. We know that in our mind, but let that be in our heart, that he is the only way to get to heaven. And when we leave this earth, we're going to spend eternity with you. And it's going to be amazing. Every suffering, everything we've gone through will pale in comparison when we see Jesus face to face. I pray you'd strengthen us by your Holy Spirit. Yeah, brother. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's, uh, Glory to the God with a clap offering and thank you to Greg at the same time. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that so much. And even as uh, you've been listening to this this morning, and we're going to respond in worship. I think we have to respond in worship. 
And, uh, but uh, even as you've been listening this morning, the Holy Spirit may have been tugging on some of your hearts. And I just want to give an opportunity, as you've heard people living for Jesus uh, and giving their life for Jesus, I want to give the opportunity for us here and anyone watching online today to open up their heart and invite Jesus in as their Savior. So I'm going to lead in a prayer, and if you can join me in that prayer, uh, just to invite our Jesus into our life. Lord Jesus, we believe you died on the cross for us. And today, Jesus, I make the intentional the decision to invite you into my life. I open the door of my heart, my mind, will, and emotions, and I invite you in to be my Savior. I give my life to you. I pray that you will lead me, and I surrender to you. Amen. Amen. If you uh, prayed that prayer, either in-house here or online for the first time today, coming up on the screen is a telephone number. And if you just take out your cell phone and text 587-323-1199, that'll enable us to uh, connect with you to uh, send you an online resource called Next, Next Steps, which is going to be a blessing to you in your faith journey. If you're in-house today, please uh, connect with uh, Pastor Greg or one of our pastors after the service and uh, share that decision with us. Thank you. And uh, let's uh, thank you again, Greg, and connect with him at the booth at the back. And let's open up our heart and worship to this Jesus because he is Worthy, He is worthy of it all. Let's open up our heart to him. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you need anything, please don't hesitate to contact us. You can find out more information on our website or on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram. We'll see you again soon.